This week, all hell breaks loose when two former Mormon missionaries get married. But one of them just isn't into being a Mormon, and the other just isn't into their spouse. But she still wants to make it work. Welcome to My Crazy Divorce. I'm a failure as a husband. I'm a failure as a man. It's just, I'm beautiful and I'm bright and I deserve better. It's a great day, I'm feeling good. Oh, the possibilities of what I could. Oh, do with the world at my fingertips. My imagination brings a smile up to my lips. Oh. Hi everyone and welcome to another crazy story here on My Crazy Divorce. I'm your host, Tom Milligan. I gotta tell you guys, this story has been so much fun for me for so many reasons. First, our guest Jenny grew up in Utah, my home state, just an hour south of my hometown of Bountiful. And since our story takes place in Utah, Mormonism will play a huge role in today's story. Full disclosure, I spent the first 45 years of my life as an active Mormon. I served a Mormon mission in Southern California, and while I'm no longer an active member of the church, I have a lot of great memories. And I have a lot of respect for the foundation it laid for my life, as well as for the charity work they do around the world. Jenny and I will do our best to explain the culture, the doctrine, and terms you'll hear to make sure you understand what we're talking about. And we'll try to do it in a respectful way. For those not familiar with the church, Mormon is a nickname associated with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is also abbreviated sometimes as the Latter-day Saint Church or LDS Church. You'll hear all three terms used today, so just know they mean the exact same thing. Now, if you're a member of the LDS Church and are offended by anything either one of us say about the church, just know it's not intentional, so calm down. All right, Jenny grew up in Alpine, Utah, a town of about 10,000 people, about 45 minutes south of Salt Lake City, Utah. Alpine is known for three things. The first is wealth. The average household income in Alpine is over $167,000, about two and a half times the national average of about $67,000. Second are the big expensive houses that those big salaries can afford. The average home in Alpine goes for about $570,000 compared to the national average of about $374,000. And finally, Alpine is really Mormon, like 94% Mormon. Here's Jenny describing Alpine. I grew up in Alpine. Now, to explain to what Alpine is, um, I, I, I hate saying that I'm from Alpine. I, I truly believe that the Mormon church is like 99% supported by the Alpine members. And so when you talk about my environment as far as religion is concerned, it was very to the T. Uh, we had 99.9% .9 activity in the ward. Our ward was literally two streets. <laughs> and, you know, my school, my high school is even worse. Lone Peak is known for high rates of suicide just because of all the pressure that is put on the children um, in these neighborhoods. Very high, wealthy families in these neighborhoods. Um, I hate saying that, but that's just the truth. Now, I can't really comment on the suicide rate, but I do know antidepressant use in Utah is the highest in the nation. and is nearly twice the national average. So there are definitely some underlying issues that need to be addressed. And in case you're confused, a ward is a local LDS congregation of between three and 600 members. Unlike most churches, your ward or congregation is assigned to you based on your location. 
so your Mormon neighbors all go to the same church at the same time. You probably heard a baby or two crying in Jenny's clip. Get used to it for this episode, because Jenny gave birth to twins just a couple of weeks ago, so they're going to join us off and on throughout the show. I cannot wait to get to our story, but first, I need to remind you that this podcast is not legal advice or therapy. Now, how do I know that? I know that because I'm not an attorney or a therapist, so I don't offer either service. Also, if you're divorced and have a great story, please go to MyCrazyDivorce.com and click on the Apply to Be a Guest button at the bottom of the page. We're always looking for great stories. And finally, I can't thank you guys enough for the ratings and reviews you've given. As I always say, ratings and reviews are the lifeblood of any podcast, so thank you to those of you that have rated us already. And to the rest of you, please just pause the show right now and take two seconds to just give us five stars. It really does mean a lot. Now that that's out of the way, we can get into the story. Jenny's parents had five children, but when Jenny's aunt and uncle died quite suddenly, her parents adopted their three children, bringing their total to eight. Unfortunately, not everyone in the extended family agreed with the adoption, so there was a year-long custody battle in the courts, which Jenny says helped her understand her own custody battle later on. I think it says a lot about Jenny's parents that they were willing not only to take on three more children, but were also willing to fight their own family in court to protect those children. So let's hear about Jenny's early life. I was very happy. I, I loved my parents, I loved my brothers and sisters, and I did everything I could to be a good Mormon girl. While it's not required, part of being a good Mormon girl, as Jenny puts it, sometimes includes going on a mission. I served a Latter-day Saint mission in Oregon, and I loved every moment of it. No matter our upbringing, divorce has a way of changing our beliefs or our relationship with God. Sometimes divorce moves people away from God and religion, while others gravitate closer. My relationship with God has changed quite a bit. In my opinion, gotten better. And on the standards of the Mormon culture, maybe it may look different. So despite becoming closer to God, she doesn't go to church every week as she was taught to do from birth. I call myself a half-ass Mormon. <laughs> I love that. Jenny comes from a long line of Mormons, but her ex, we're going to call him Daryl for this show, doesn't have that same historical background. In fact, Daryl's dad joined the LDS church as an adult. He's a convert to the church, though. So, I mean, he, he's a first generation in, in his line of family work. So you can imagine how important religion was to him as far as making sure that his children were giving the outwardly appearance to the neighborhood and the high callings that he served in. For those not familiar, the LDS church has a lay ministry. That means it's run by its members rather than a paid pastor or preacher. When a member is asked to take on a role in the church, it's referred to as a calling because they believe the request is made by inspiration and therefore that they've been called by God to fill that role. So according to Jenny, Daryl's dad had some pretty important callings in the church. Daryl's childhood seemed very similar to Jenny's, from the outside at least. Very similar background as far as mine's concerned. There was only three children in his family. He was the middle. Um, his father was in a lot of church high callings, gone a lot, not around in his life a lot, um, also worked in a very high-stress job. If I ask him if he loves his childhood, he would say yes, he's close to his family. And so uh, the, the biggest hiccup, I think, has been all the medications that he took when he was younger. It caused a lot of issues that I think caused a lot of issues in my marriage. 
Daryl's family says those medications were all for ADHD, but we'll never know for sure. And we'll talk a bit later about the pressure put on men in the LDS faith, but I can tell you from personal experience, it's not for the faint of heart. I don't know which callings Daryl's dad had, but in my own life as an LDS man, there were times that I would work my 50 hours at my day job and then put in another 20 or 30 hours doing church work in the evenings and on weekends. I don't know of any other religion that touches so much of its members' lives. In fact, despite living hundreds of miles apart, it's the church that brought these two together. It ties all into religion. We served in the same mission. Daryl and Jenny didn't connect when they were missionaries, but after his mission was over, Daryl took some college courses in Utah. And to pay for college, he got a part-time job. And so I didn't really know him on the mission, but then when we came home, we taught his teachers in the missionary training center, where you teach missionaries how to become missionaries. And so that's really where we met when we were working as teachers in the MTC. Oh, the memories. I spent two months at the MTC back in 1987. But it wasn't just the fact that they worked together. You see, when you serve a mission, you're a 19 or 20 year old kid who's probably away from home for the first time. So every mission has a mission president who kind of becomes your father figure. Also, his wife is there, who's often referred to as your mission mom because of the role she takes on with the missionaries. Well, Jenny's mission mom worked behind the scenes to get Jenny and Daryl to date after their missions were over. She thought they were just perfect for each other. So with all the planets aligned, Daryl and Jenny started dating. My um, courting was quite small, about three months, not very lengthy. Um, I wanted to be longer, but I obviously, looking in hindsight, was pushed into a lot of things I didn't want to do. Ugh. Three months is not long enough. Period. I don't care who you are, how old you are, or how in love you think you are. I, I remember very specifically thinking, I don't really like this guy. And there's a lot, of, a lot of red flags. I remember talking to my friends about it, and I did end up breaking up with him. Good! Jenny saw the red flags and actually broke it off with Daryl. Now, if only that were the end of our story. But then my guilt. I felt so guilty by making him feel so bad because my codependency um, issues that I had. I ended up getting back together with him because I thought, what's wrong with him? There must be something wrong with me because um, there's nothing wrong with him. Why do we gaslight ourselves? Jenny knew it wasn't right, but she convinced herself that there was something wrong with her. Why? I mean, I look back and I think, I think I just wanted to continue the Mormon checkbox. Get married in the temple, have the white picket fence. And so when you talk about engagement, it wasn't anything that I remember emotion-wise. It's just all that was what I was supposed to do. So romantic, right? Well, maybe he grew on her. Went and looked for rings, uh, waited for the ring to come in. Um, he got it sooner than it was supposed to come in, so he surprised me by writing me a song. And I mean, I still have pictures of it, you know, and things like that. Keep them from my son. Um, <clears throat> proposed. I mean, it was just one of those things where it's like, well, I guess we might as well get married. You know, we, we both have the same morals, same standards, want the same things. We have the same morals and want the same things, so we're obviously meant to be together? Right. Damn it, Jenny. Why? I'm thinking, yay, I finally made it to what young women in my church taught me that I should be doing. 
A, I don't have to be one of those single women for the rest of my life. Yay, I get to have babies. You know, that's that's what I'm thinking. Yay, I can finally get the house and the dream and, you know, the whole nine yards when it comes to making my life picture perfect. So Jenny's been told her entire life that this is what her role is. Wife and mother. Period. I'm thinking, yay, I don't have to be alone. So for whatever reasons, good or bad, Jenny and Daryl are engaged. But remember, they've only known each other for three months. There's still a lot they don't know about each other. We were driving on the freeway and we're talking finances. Now I'm someone who's very into my finances. I, I want to excel in life and move forward. And I remember him telling me he had nothing in his bank account. So he's broke. Not a huge deal, right? A lot of young married couples start out broke. In fact, I think that's almost better since it forces them to work together to resolve problems. But that's not how Jenny saw it. But I was already engaged to this guy. Um, and so he, he, was, he moved to Utah, had a part-time job, wasn't going to school. And I thought, what the hell is this kid doing with his life? And why am I engaged to him? <laughs> Good questions. And don't you just love how she can laugh about it now? So Daryl stopped going to school, is about to get married, and only has a part-time job. I'd question that too. Jenny was worried. I remember thinking, though, maybe things will change. Ah, the old, I'm sure it will be okay once we're married routine. Does that ever actually work? I doubt it. But Jenny sweeps that red flag under the rug and prepares for her temple sealing ceremony. It's called a sealing because you're being sealed to your spouse, something Mormons believe can only happen in LDS temples. <clears throat> you have to be worthy in order to get married in the Mormon temple, so you have to be living certain standards. Um, and especially in your courtship, you're not able to have intercourse, you're not able to have even petty, um, or I don't know what else you would call it, just anything that's uh, informative of sexuality, no showing body parts um, before you get married. So when you get married in the temple, it's, they, they say it's for time and all eternity. And so, you know, if you're married civilly, they say till death do you part. But in the temple, they say time and all eternity. And you make covenants, promises with your partner, and you include God in your marriage. Well, that adds a whole new wrinkle to this, doesn't it? Remember, Jenny doesn't really like Daryl a whole lot. I'm sure she doesn't actively dislike him. But from what I've seen, love wasn't even on the table. But despite that, she's preparing to enter into a very sacred relationship with Daryl and with God that is expected to last for time and eternity. That's deep. And it's scary. So the big day comes. Both families are in the sealing room of the Tempanogos Temple in American Fork, Utah, to witness the sealing of Daryl and Jenny for time and eternity. To be clear, sealing rooms usually hold 20 or 30 people max, and the sealing ceremony is actually fairly short, and usually quite somber. I remember, because in the temple there's an altar, so you kneel down at an altar and you face each other. And I remember thinking, what the hell am I doing? I cannot believe I'm marrying this person. Oh no. She knows it's not right, but the whole family is there. It's just too late to back out. So now they're sealed. I guess it's time to celebrate, Mormon style. Obviously, we don't have as many fun dancing and drinking parties as a lot of people because we don't drink alcohol. But, you know, we have the reception hall and we have the luncheon. Um, so lots of people coming in with gifts. I loved it. I had dreamed about it my entire life. <laughs> and so here I was in a gorgeous gown and 
looking good and, you know, getting to express to everybody that I finally had made it through the threshold of marriage. And, you know, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And that, my friends, is a Mormon wedding day. And in case you're not familiar, the reason Jenny mentioned alcohol is that members of the LDS faith are forbidden from drinking alcohol as one requirement of being temple worthy. So a Mormon wedding is very different from a non-Mormon wedding. Mormons are also forbidden from drinking coffee or tea or from using tobacco in any form. I didn't know that he was doing things like, and some people may not think this is bad, but in the Mormon culture it is bad, e-cigarettes. And he was hiding it from me. And I remember that was we had been married for about six months. Like Jenny said, in most cultures and religions, e-cigarettes are no big deal. But in the LDS church, it's a big deal. Not cool at all, Daryl. But it's not just the fact that he's using tobacco products. Because I thought, how am I going to have kids with this guy if he's lying to me and he's going behind my back spending things on items that I don't know? It's about trust. And Daryl broke that trust with Jenny. And remember... God is the third member of this marriage, so he broke his commitment to God as well. And before you go commenting on how weird Mormons are, remember two things. First, they already know it. They refer to themselves as a peculiar people, so they get it. You don't need to remind them. And second, Mormons are no more or less weird than any other religion. Anyway, one thing Mormons are encouraged to do is keep a personal history by writing in their journal. Apparently, Jenny took that very seriously. But I made him write a document in my journal saying, you know, I'll never do these things. I am so sorry. I'm going to try to be a worthy priesthood holder. I'm not going to lie. I've lived in Utah most of my life and spent most of that life as an active member of the LDS Church. And Jenny having Daryl make her a promise in her journal is the single most Mormon thing I have ever heard. On a side note, e-cigarettes aren't free. So in addition to breaking her trust, he was spending their money. She wasn't happy about that, but they didn't have time to argue about it. And I found out that I was pregnant. And he also used my pregnancy against me. Um, he used the priesthood against me by saying that there are consequences to my actions, that it's my fault that I got pregnant. Being pregnant is great news for some couples. But Daryl ruined it by using his priesthood. To help understand the priesthood, Here's an explanation directly from the church's website. Quote, To govern his church on earth, he, God, delegates a portion of his power and authority to worthy male members of the church. This delegated authority is called priesthood. End quote. Now, one of the delegated powers is that of giving priesthood blessings. So again, right from the church's website. Quote, Priesthood blessings are given to provide direction and comfort as guided by the Spirit. Worthy men who hold the priesthood may give blessings of comfort and counsel to their wives. Unquote. Basically, despite Daryl's use of e-cigarettes, he somehow felt he was worthy to give Jenny a priesthood blessing, to give, quote, comfort and counsel. And Jenny's faith in the priesthood authority was absolute. I cannot believe that he used that against me in a priesthood blessing where they put the hands on your head and they bless you. And he said those words. Now, when you have, when you just give a substitute to your subscribe, your subscribers is a priesthood blessing is supposed to be words from God. So when someone uses it to abuse that power that they believe in, you know, I thought was very, was awful. Yeah, that's shitty. But unfortunately, Daryl's not the first to abuse his priesthood authority. 
and he certainly won't be the last. Well, so here we are. Jenny's eight months pregnant, and Daryl, well, he rolls his ankle. Maybe. Looking back in hindsight, he faked the surgery, which he's done multiple surgeries where he fakes the surgeries. He'll find a surgeon to perform the surgery. And this, in this case, it was his ankle. He said he rolled his ankle and he had to have surgery on it. Well, if you have surgery, you're given pain pills. So I was two weeks away from giving birth to our child, and he was in a foot brace and could barely walk. I wasn't there, so I can't say whether he faked it or not. But at best, his timing sure sucks. And at worst, he's a drug addict. I learned that he also had a hard time having the attention on someone else as far as medical concerns are. So I had a medical concern. I was pregnant at the time. And that was empowering for him, so he had to match that level. Okay. He's an attention whore. Check. So my son was born, and my husband is two weeks old. My son was two weeks old. He literally passes out with my son in his arms from an overdose. Oh, he's a drug-addicted attention whore. That's not good at all, especially with a newborn. What really happened in my marriage, I believe, is when my child was born, the attention turned to my child. I was now to be a rearing, gearing mother. And he didn't like that. The attention was not on him anymore. In fact, there was a time that he said, you are not to put the child first. You're supposed to be putting me first. I'm your husband. What a petulant dick. But Jenny gives Daryl a lot more grace than I do. As a Mormon, I do know the expectations that are put on a father figure are a lot greater than the average father. Um, and so my expectations of him were a lot higher than I think that they should have been. And so the demand of you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to be involved in this. So you need to go work and then you need to make sure you're home with the kids and playing with the kids and you make sure you groom the dog. You know, you make sure you take the house and do all the household chores. Whatever, Daryl. Yeah. Being a man is sometimes hard. Sometimes it's thankless. But he really needs to grow up. There had been an incident where he had pulled out a gun, my ex, my Daryl, pulled out a gun and wanted to kill himself in front of me. Now, he had done this multiple times and tried to use it against me. My heart goes out to anyone with suicidal ideations. I'm really glad I've never had to deal with that. And I'm totally not qualified to make this statement, but here goes anyway. Daryl is and was full of shit and never had any intention of killing himself. He threatened suicide to control Jenny, period. It worked for a while, but she really wanted to make the marriage work. I um, was very involved with my husband. I wanted to go on dates with him. I wanted to hang out with him. Um, I wanted to be with him. In fact, it was the exact opposite. He wanted to be alone because he was doing things behind my back that I didn't know about. Um, I don't think he was ever cheating. I don't have proof of it, but I do know that he would just go and, and get high in the basement and didn't want me to be around. That sounds terrible. So Jenny's working as a real estate agent, and from the sound of it, making decent money. Of course, Daryl's spending it just as fast, so her dreams of becoming a homeowner aren't getting any closer to reality. My father ends up buying a house for us so that we can maybe pay him and, you know, buy the house from him because we couldn't afford the house at the time. Wow, what a dad. At this point, their son is two years old, and Daryl's doing a ton of kratom, which is said to have mood-lifting effects, offers pain relief, and is used as an aphrodisiac. People who use kratom report increased energy, sociability, and alertness. All sounds great, 
But the reported health effects include sensitivity to sunburn, nausea, itching, sweating, dry mouth, constipation, increased urination, and loss of appetite. So there's that. You know, you think that if you just talk to somebody, that they'll change. That if they love you, that they'll change. I say, hey, let's get into some counseling. I remember saying to him, I will never leave you over money spending habits. But we've got to work on it. We've got to figure it out. And he's sitting there crying on the couch, you know, soaking it all in and getting the victimized mode. Of course he's crying on the couch playing the victim. No surprise there. But never say never, Jenny. Um, so we were going to support therapy. Um, mind you, he didn't want to go. So I remember sitting in therapy with him in this group therapy, and he didn't want to say a darn thing the whole time we were there. We only went once, and I remember trying to reach out to people saying, I thought, I can't do this by myself. Jenny's ability to believe in and forgive her husband is being tested every day. I mean, that would take a toll on any marriage. I got, it got to the point where we were just, we could not be civil anymore. We, our conversations became very toxic. We were yelling in front of the child. And I felt trapped. Money, the money was the issue. I didn't have money to even pay, pay for groceries anymore because he just kept spending all of it. Mind you, I was a real estate agent at the time. I was making money as well. Uh, we were trying to purchase new fences, new roof, new couches. We had money. But he was spending it so fast that I, I couldn't even buy groceries. I remember calling my mom and saying, I, I need money for groceries. I can't, I can't survive this week. Didn't I just say never say never? I went to my parents and I said, I don't know what to do. I don't want to go back home. They said, well, then why don't you get away? I decided in that moment that I was going to go to um, St. George, which is about five hours away from my house, and stay with my grandparents. Good idea. A little space might do them both some good. And I wrote a letter to him saying, if things don't change, I don't know when I'm going to be back. I just need to go. As I've said before, I wasn't there. And I haven't verified any of this with Daryl. But based on Jenny's side of the story, it seems like she's being very open and fair with her communication and what needs to happen. <laughs> Do you think Daryl sees it that way? Of course not. He accused me of stealing his child. He went to his parents. His parents didn't know anything was going on. Both Daryl and Jenny are lucky to have such supportive and involved parents. And both took advantage of their advice. Jenny's parents convinced her to come home from St. George. But first... Daryl promised that he wasn't doing e-cigarettes, Kratom, or anything else like it. And he said, I promise you, Jenny. So I came back based on that. The day I got home, there was a... And I lived in Lehigh. Lehigh is a very windy city. There was a little receipt sitting outside on the grass. And he had been at his parents' house for a couple days. I opened up that receipt, and lo and behold, he'd been buying nicotine gum. Now, in the Mormon culture, nicotine's a big deal. And I didn't know, I mean, I, I knew about the e-cigarettes from years ago, but I didn't know he was still doing them. And that opened up my whole new world to me, that little tiny little receipt. And I thought, gosh, dang it. But I decided to go and meet with his parents anyway. And I brought the receipt and I remember being on the phone with his dad. And I said, look, you need to know he is lying to me. I have proof that he is lying. And if he's lying about this, I don't know what else he's lying about. And I thought, maybe he'll listen to his parents if he won't listen to mine. I will never forget it, sitting down at their kitchen table, and they looked at me like I was stupid. That, heaven forbid, I call their son a liar. Well, that's a dead end. Of course his parents are going to defend their son. So Daryl and Jenny decide to include their bishop in the discussions. 
I made sure I put my son into bed and my parents came over and it was a yelling, screaming fight. The bishop's just sitting there like, don't know what to do. An LDS bishop is the local priesthood leader that presides over a ward. Remember, he's just a guy that accepted a calling. He probably has no training in marriage counseling, but as part of the LDS doctrine, he's been given special authority over this ward, so members often involve him in this stuff. So, of course he's just sitting there. What else could he do? Meanwhile, the others in the meeting aren't just sitting around. I'm trying not to have a panic attack, and my ex-husband is just screaming at everybody, and uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot there, right? But in the end, what happened is my parents said, this is my house, you're to leave now, and you're not coming back. And so they made him pack all of his bags. This was the third time I had kicked him out of the house. And he told me that if I had kicked him out again, that it would cause a divorce. You gotta love how he worded that. If you kick me out, it will cause a divorce. So whatever he did that led up to the kicking out is irrelevant in his statement. I looked at him. I said, don't be silly, Daryl. I said, I grabbed his face and I said, just go work on you and I'll work on me and we'll come back and be better together. But we cannot function like this right now. And the evil look that he gave me was like, you're in for it. Punishment. Punishment was coming. I just got chills. She has no idea what's coming next. But she knows it's not good. So he left. And he was gone the whole week. And he asked to see my son that weekend. And so he saw, he took this, my son, our son, whatever you want to call it. We're not in legal stuff. So I'm going to say my son. Um. So he took my son for the weekend. He asked to have him for one more day because he wasn't working on Monday. Sounds reasonable. I hear so many single moms who wish their kids' fathers would ask for extra time with them. So I suspect Jenny was happy that he wanted to be an involved dad, even if they weren't together. Jenny took advantage of the extra time on Monday to work on building her real estate business. I come home and there's a police officer at my house. I had not even eaten dinner. I was so hungry because I had been working out and trying to like eat clean and try to get my life back together, trying to feel control again, you know? The police officer handed me the papers and I said, what is this? I, I don't know what this is. And he says, well, I've just been told to give it to you. I said, but it has my name and my husband's name on it and we're separated right now and he's supposed to be bringing my son. He says, I don't know, just read it. I'm not a cop, but that really seems like he left some shit out, right? They did many things wrong. They were supposed to escort me off the property. They were supposed to serve all the entire papers and they didn't do their job. That's more like it. But because the police officer didn't do it right, she had no way of knowing that shit was about to get very, very real. He leaves, I'm left with a piece of paper. I call my husband and I say, I have a piece of paper in front of me. I don't know what's going on. He doesn't answer his phone, so I leave a voicemail. Then I call my parents and they say, oh no, you need to call your Uncle Blake, who's an attorney, and you need to talk to him now. Oh no, not Uncle Blake. What is going on? Where is my son? Exactly. Where is her son? Jenny later pulled body cam footage and learned that while she's panicking over her son, the officer that served Jenny drove two blocks to where Daryl was parked waiting to get word that she'd been served. You see the cam of him, of the cop walking up to him and he says, well, she, she called me. She called me. Have you served the protection order? And he says, yeah, we served it. And she called you? He says, she, she violated the protection order. He says, you know, that means that we're going to have to arrest her. The look on his face was, 
well, I, I, I guess this is her doing. And to me, that look was this guy had no idea what he was doing. He had, I'm pretty sure the attorney told him to file it, to get a leverage, to try to get the kid. It's all about control for Daryl. He first tried to use his priesthood authority, then his suicidal threats, and now he's using their child to try to control her. I honestly think he thought that we were actually going to stay married if I had learned my lesson. That if I had learned my lesson and he knew that the divorce was coming from when he said, this is going to cause a divorce, that I would come crawling back to him and apologize. But now I'm being arrested. So that look on his face is, oh, shit, my plan's not working very well, is it? Well, that backfired, didn't it, Daryl? Jenny's parents come over to do whatever they could in such a shitty situation. They call Uncle Blake, who warns them that Daryl isn't playing around and that they need to take this very seriously. I start throwing pictures on the floor. Glass starts shattering everywhere. I can't even imagine that scene. She has to be terrified. Two hours go by, and I get another knock at the door. By the time my brother-in-law's there, my parents are there, we're trying to figure out what to do. I honestly don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> so I do remember the police officer being there saying... You broke the protection order. You called your husband. You're under arrest. I seriously can't even believe this. Jenny's under arrest? She's arrested for violating an order she didn't even know existed. For leaving a voicemail. I remember just feeling completely empty and defeated. I thought, there's nothing I can do. Here you go. Take, take me my cuffs and let's just let's just do this because I, I have nothing. My son's not here. My husband's not here. I don't know what's going on. My mom is going hysterical. The cop says, if you do not calm down, I'm going to have to arrest you too. My dad was pissed. He's like, who the hell are you? I'm with them. I'd be pissed too about my daughter and my house. Remember, Daryl just had her removed from a house Jenny's dad owns. So they caravan about 45 minutes to the county jail. First question I asked that police officer, this just tells you how bad I was. Have you ever seen a marriage survive something like this? Seriously? Picture this. Jenny is handcuffed in the back of a police cruiser because her husband's a douche and she still wants to save the marriage. She's a much better person than I am. I was so hopeful that I might get my dream back together, that we, I could, I've got to save this, like something... Like, how can someone be like this that I spent my night in my bed with? I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what I did. Unbelievable. She's an amazing person. Now it's 11 p.m. I'm booked out. And, you know, the police officers tell me I have one chance to go back to the house and get my items. And I have to be out. My dad's asking all the damn questions. This is my damn house. What makes you think you can kick me out of my house and tell me I can't go back? He was pissed. <laughs> damn straight. I seriously can't believe they're kicking her out. I remember going back to the house at midnight and thinking, I don't have my dog. I don't even have my car because my car was in the protection order. I don't have my kid and I don't have my house. I have my suitcase. And I remember being so tired and so hungry because I hadn't even eaten yet. <laughs> so hungry. But I thought, I've got to grab my library books that my son and I got because I don't know when I'm coming back. I'm not going to lie, you guys. That made me tear up a bit. And I went to my parents' house that night and I thought, thank goodness I have family because I can't imagine not knowing I would have nothing. 
I would be on the streets. I, where would I have gone? That is so true. Thank God she had family. It wasn't until the next morning that the full picture started to come into focus. And I didn't know he had filed divorce at the time. And so the next morning, wake up, call all the attorneys, find out that he'd filed for divorce, read the divorce papers. I mean, I was just thrown into it. Just, just completely just trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do? How am I going to get my kid back? What is going on? And that's how it began. This episode of My Crazy Divorce is sponsored by OurDivorce.com. When I got divorced about 20 years ago, it took 19 months and $40,000. So in the fall of 2019, when I was, well, compelled to get another divorce, and even though I had a lot more to lose, I didn't want to spend the money or waste another year and a half of my life going through it. So I sat down and wrote up a divorce plan. I knew that if my wife and I could work together just one last time, we could get through it quickly and without attorneys. The result? Our papers were ready to file just a couple of days later. So instead of spending a year and a half getting divorced, I've spent that time perfecting my plan and making it available to everyone on OurDivorce.com. For just $299, OurDivorce.com's proprietary three-step process guides divorcing couples through the entire divorce process and provides the divorcing couple with a complete set of divorce papers, along with easy-to-follow filing instructions for their state. $299 is a great price, but our divorce doesn't charge anything to use their service unless it works for you. Will your attorney make that guarantee? If you or someone you know is thinking about divorce, visit OurDivorce.com today to get started for free. That's OurDivorce.com to get started today. After spending the night at her parents, she begins assembling the team, reading the paperwork, and forming a strategy. She needs to know everything. I remember going to the county and getting the entire paperwork of the protection order, and Tom, the things that that man wrote in that are just absolutely absurd. That I, that I was uncontrollable. But let's be honest, I was uncontrollable because he wasn't able to control me anymore. And that I hit my child multiple times. That my child's learning, his speech impediment was my fault because I my abuse. Of course he accused her of child abuse. What else could he say? My son did have a speech delay. And I did have a state uh, program, which is called Kids on the Move, in my home giving speech therapy to my child twice a month. And those are mandated reporters. And they say on every sheet of paper that they leave with that mom was there and that everything was fine. And that saved my ass. Ha! Take that, Daryl. Because their case involved a protection order, their hearings were expedited, which means their first hearing was just 10 days after the protection order had been served. During that time, Jenny had to fight to get her car so she could do her job and also to see her son. In that 10 days, she hired an attorney who assured her that she would get her son back at the hearing. But Commissioner Patton said, my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. I can't give you the kid. You technically violated the protection order. Just to be clear, Jenny doesn't blame Commissioner Patton. In fact, she has nothing but good things to say about him. His hands were tied, and he wasn't too happy about it. We're sitting there in the courtroom for the protection order hearing. I'm about ready to bawl my eyes out because I can't get my kid. 
Commissioner Patton looks at me. He says, you need to go to the judicial system and get things changed. Because he was pissed. He says, my hands are tied. I can't do anything. He says, I know who the victim is in this situation. So the only reason why we're sitting in this courtroom is because someone drew an imaginary line. And because she crossed that imaginary line is the only reason why we're here. So basically, he did everything he possibly could without subverting the law. Commissioner Patton awarded me the home. And he told Daryl that he was never allowed to step foot in that house again, even if it was escorted by a cop. He was so pissed at him. He tried to give me anything that he could because he couldn't give me my, my son. So we were able to get the house back and I was able to dig and find things and search and search and search. Boom. So 10 days after the protective order, she has her car and her house and Daryl wasn't even allowed an hour to get his stuff. Nicely done, Commissioner Patton. Nicely done. But Jenny still doesn't have her son. I remember thinking, I've got to figure this out. I could not sleep. I could not eat. I feel like I couldn't breathe until I could find a solution to get my son back. And that panic feeling never left until we got to our temporal custody hearing, which was 63 days after the protection order was filed. Um, because, you know, these things take time, right? And in that time, I had changed attorneys. Um, I was seeing my child every other weekend. Um, but he was two. He was two years old. I went from being a full-time stay-at-home mom to now only seeing my child every other weekend and the trauma that was happening to him. I hate it when mothers weaponize their children during a divorce. And I hate it just as bad when fathers do it. Maybe even worse. It's heartbreaking no matter which parent does it. But I think Daryl has awakened a sleeping giant here. I hired a personal investigator because you cannot prove that someone is a drug addict without a history of criminal records. I found out that he was hanging out with a woman who did have a criminal record um, and a DCFS case opened up on her child. And he was hotboxing with this girl multiple times a week. My PI caught the video. We've got footage. We've got everything. So I knew I had to go a different route. And so the route that I went was to try to say that I had the best interest in the child and that my, my ex, Daryl, couldn't even take care of himself. So I hired a personal investigator and um, watched him over my birthday and Christmas and very nerve wracking to know that your, your ex is getting high right before he picks up your kid and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. That's rough. I can't even imagine. For all the pain I went through in my divorce, I can say that I never worried for the safety of my children. My ex is a great mom. My first ex, I mean. Well, we get to the temporal custody hearing with Commissioner Patton again. I have a new attorney. I have a ton of evidence that I have gathered up. I mean, this was my full-time job. I was going to prove that this guy is a lunatic. I had the best interest of the child, and I had a damn good case. Um, I had pulled text messages. I had showed that he had drug behavior. And to this day, I found a white powder, and I still don't know what it was. I was told to not try to find out what it was, because it could be my issue if I did. Um, I, I believe that it was, um, oh, I don't know what it's called. It's a drug that they give to enhance all the other drugs. It starts with a K. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but anyway, found text messages of him trading drugs, breaking the law. I had brought all of this in, and also to support that I'm not mental. I've got a therapist note. I have all these mandated reporters that were in my home with all these sheets of papers. I mean, I had done the work. I had dug myself into it. I thought, I'm going to know the law. I'm going to figure this out. This is my son. Like, I'm not messing around with this. <laughs> uh, 
And so Mama Bear came out. <laughs> like I said, I think Daryl screwed the pooch by playing hardball. This entire mess could have been avoided if he had just been reasonable and actually communicated with Jenny. But instead, he lied, snuck around, and came out swinging in round one. Idiot. Back to the hearing. So we get in that courtroom, and I'm all dressed up. I remember thinking, I've, I've got to stay calm, I've got to stay collective, and I've got to stay posed. I'm confident in my case. And the judge has got to know that. And I remember practicing in the mirror. This is, I've got this. I've got this. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to fall apart. And I did. And I'm very proud of myself for doing that. Because the second that we got in there, Commissioner Patton said, finally, I can do what I want to do. I had over 30 people at my temporal custody hearing to support me. Now, this was something that we had thought about if it was a good thing or if it would be a bad thing. I said, I don't give a shit. That commissioner needs to know that all those people support that I'm not mental and that I'm not abusive. And so we get into the courtroom and his parents are there, obviously. All of my slew of aunt and uncles. I'm in the Mormon family. They're all there. That's awesome. The evidence of Daryl's bad behavior coupled with the evidence of Jenny's good behavior finally allowed Commissioner Patton to do what he obviously wanted to do all along. An equitable parent time and custody arrangement was ordered, and she was able to be with her son. But despite that victory... The protection order was still in place. I could not communicate, and I did not communicate with my ex my entire divorce. Because the protection order was used as a leverage on his... Whatever he thought it was leverage. I thought, great, I don't want to talk to you. It's going to cost me a lot of money to go through attorneys, but it gave me my peace of mind. I was actually able to focus on myself and to work on what I needed to go through with my marriage and the therapy because I didn't have this person ringing in my ear, which a lot of people do because, you know, I coach people as well. And that has become a huge issue is when you let that other person keep ringing in your ear. You've got to stay focused on what your new life is going to be. She's right. It's expensive probably worth the peace of mind it brings. That protective order is long gone, but the impacts live on today. I've never talked to him face to face ever again. I never will. And it's made, it breaks my heart for my son, but it's in the best interest of both of us. Even though the evidence gathered by Jenny's PI was beyond damning, Daryl chose to fight her for custody. But now that that ruling was over, Jenny wanted the divorce to end. So she decided to play hardball too. So I gathered up my blackmail, if you want to call it that, because I knew that this was a secret life that he was living. He was still playing off as a Mormon priesthood. Oh, speak of the devil. He just texted me. <laughs> That's funny. I put a lot of pressure on him, eventually shared a video that I had of, a, of the personal investigator of him doing drugs. I said, look, if you don't sign today, I'm putting down my retainer and we will go to court. And he signed. We'll never know if he settled out of fear of what the courts would do or fear that he'd be exposed as an unworthy priesthood holder. But he settled. So how long did all this take? We were going to have our five-year anniversary that August. So it broke out in spring of 2018, and then we settled in June of 2019. So about 15 months. The average is about 11 months, so not too bad. But how much did it cost? Remember, the average is about 11000 bucks. $70,000. Damn. 70 grand? And for what? I am happy for Jenny. She came out a winner. In fact, she paid off that 70 grand and bought a house the very next year. So what happened to Daryl? He, he can't pick anything up with his hands right now. 
says, my, my dad's hands, they shake and they tremble and he can't pick things up. Mind you, this man is 30 years old. He was diagnosed with a degenerative heart failure two years ago, blamed it on working out and his eating habits. Should I feel bad for him? Because I really don't. As always, I asked Jenny how she feels about her experience. People think, people think that your life looks horrible, that they would never want to live that life. But I look back and I think, I loved being a single mom. I loved, I mean, I hated the custody stuff, but the opportunity that I was given to be able to work on myself and focus on myself is unreplaceable. I needed that. Well, when I think about what I went through, you hear the stories but a lot of it was emotional for me, emotional growth, um, looking in the mirror and accepting my story, accepting who I am, that I am someone who was arrested and accused of being a mental and abusive, but that does not define who I am. On top of that, my divorce does not define who I am. On top of that, I am not a victim. Yes, I was emotionally abused in my marriage, but I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to play that role anymore. Isn't she great? Jenny's younger sister is getting married in a few months, so Jenny offered some advice to her, but it applies to all of us. Make sure you love yourself, and you can look in the mirror and smile back. And make sure that you can love your spouse the way they are, and don't expect them to change. That is such great advice. I wish more people would follow it. As you've heard a few times during this show, Jenny is a new mom of twins. She's also remarried. My now husband went through my whole divorce with me. I met him probably about five months after it broke out. And he was my best friend through my whole divorce. I was never romantically interested in him because I had too much shit on my plate to even think about romance. <laughs> but he was my one man on my side, and I love him for that. I really couldn't be happier for Jenny. She went through the shit and came out the other side a stronger and better person. You have to admire that in anyone. Jenny has a great social media presence where she shares her advice and the lessons she's learned. She uses the handle Empowerment Through Trials all over the internet. You can find me on TikTok on Empowerment Through Trials. Um, I'm also on Empowerment Through Trials on Instagram. I'm on Empowerment Through Trials on YouTube as well. So, Empowerment Through Trials. Words cannot express how much I appreciate Jenny for being on the show today. I hope you find her story as inspirational as I do. Also, I hope you learned something about another culture and religion that you may not have known before. I always find that fascinating. And a huge shout out to OurDivorce.com for sponsoring My Crazy Divorce. This show wouldn't be possible without their generosity. And finally, thanks to all you guys for listening, sharing, rating, and reviewing the show. We're seeing some great traction, and that's because of people like you who help spread the word. Please keep it up. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another crazy divorce story. You don't want to miss it. Goodbye, everybody. Imagination brings a smile up to